0: You're listening to The Pillar In-Depth, a Catholic storytelling podcast. I'm your host, Kate Oliveira, and this season, we're talking about abortion. In the weeks following the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade, I started seeing more and more about a story, a horrible story, out of Ohio. Here's President Joe Biden.
1: Just last week was reported that a 10-year-old girl
0: was a rape victim in high 10 years old. And she was forced to have to travel out of the state to Indiana to seek to terminate the presidency and maybe save her life. That last part is my judgment, 10 years old. The story originated in a July 1st article in the Indianapolis Star about women traveling to Indiana for abortions after neighboring states passed restrictions on abortions. An OBGYN in Indiana said that she performed an abortion on a 10-year-old girl who was raped. The girl had traveled to Indiana from Ohio, where abortion is banned at six weeks of pregnancy. She was six weeks and three days pregnant. The story went viral. It was picked up by publications across the world. It spread so quickly that everyone began treating the story as fact. But the story had Pretty shaky grounding. The OBGYN in Indiana was on record, but she was the only source for the story. Even the seasoned fact-checker at the Washington Post said the story was difficult to authenticate. Still, it was everywhere. I was seeing friends on both sides of the abortion debate, using the story to prop up their opinions about abortion and the recent overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade. If you were against abortion, you had a heart of stone— if you were for abortion, you were ignoring the heart of the issue. I remember it being really hard to see people referencing this story. I'm pro-life, and I believe it's a good thing that Roe versus Wade was overturned. But that doesn't mean that I want to force a little girl to travel far from home after the trauma of rape for even more trauma in procuring an abortion. I didn't sign up for this. I'm pro-life because I believe abortion is the killing of a human being and that abortion is bad for women, not because I want to hurt women. Nearly one week after President Biden's comments, an Ohio man was charged after confessing to the rape. But I was still dizzy from the flurry of responses to the story before it had even been confirmed. This entire situation had me wondering how we can separate fact from fiction— especially online, and especially when it comes to a topic as controversial and emotional as abortion. I, I did want to ask you about just your take on the case of the story of the 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio.
2: That case is very interesting. We did not publish when there was a lot of ongoing debate about it because we could not verify it nor debunk it.
0: Angie Drobnik-Holan is a journalist and fact-checker. She's editor-in-chief of PolitiFact, an independent fact-checking website run by the Poynter Institute, which is a nonprofit that promotes journalism.
2: Looking back at how that developed, there was a local newspaper that mentioned it. It was a doctor who was speaking on the record, giving it this, this story, I would call it an anecdote, about this one particular case. Um, then it started to be questioned another fact checker the washington post fact checker which is a very good fact checker and does very good work reviewed the whole case was unable to confirm it and published those findings and then a few days later there was the criminal charge which i think to everybody who's watching this would say okay that confirms this story I think it's very challenging to fact check single cases in any sort of public policy issue, because often we don't have enough details about individual cases to either confirm or debunk them. And there are privacy issues. So that one was like a case, a very interesting case study in fact checking, because It focused on the individual case. I think we're on much firmer ground as fact checkers when we are looking at trends over time, when we're looking at broader statistics um, that give more of a a portrait of of what's happening in a certain policy issue.
0: Instead of fact checking the individual case of the 10-year-old from Ohio, Angie and her team looked instead at some of the responses to the case. They singled out comments by the president of Americans United for Life, Katherine Glenn Foster, at a recent congressional hearing.
1: Do you think a 10-year-old should choose to carry a baby? I believe it would probably impact her, her life. And so, therefore, it would fall under any exception and would not be an abortion. Wait, it would not be an abortion if a 10-year-old with her parents made the decision not to have a baby that was a result of a rape? If a 10-year-old became pregnant as a result of rape and it was uh, threatening her life, then that's not an abortion.
0: Again, Glenn Foster said that, quote, if a 10-year-old became pregnant as a result of rape and it was threatening her life, then that's not an abortion. The PolitiFact team looked into whether the medical definition of abortion changes when the procedure is administered because of exceptions in abortion law. They found that the medical definition of abortion doesn't change. They declared Glenn Foster's comment to be false. Glenn Foster took a lot of heat for this. And what stinks is she was probably referencing the fact that in many states, restrictions on abortion do carry exemptions in cases of rape. But language does matter. Some of the interesting follow-ups about that case were that
2: very young, like I would consider children under 18... Uh, minors do seek abortions. They're not common, but they're they're not exactly rare either. Um, some of the numbers suggested that they're in in the um, in some of the states we were talking about that they maybe happen once a week. so like not frequent but not totally rare either. Um, and again, uh, the abortion statistics that we have um, nationwide are Um, aggregated, and I think we can draw conclusions from some of them. But they're not complete either. Some states don't report. Um, Generally, the reporting of abortions happen on a state-by-state basis, and different states have different rules about it, and and some states don't report their abortion uh, statistics at all.
0: Angie's background is in newspapers. In 2007, she joined the Tampa Bay Times for a new project, PolitiFact, which would focus on the 2008 presidential election.
2: We felt like political candidates needed fact-checking because some of the political rhetoric and the TV ads were just departing from the actual record quite a bit. So it started as, uh, as political journalists who wanted to give our readers more truthfulness in the reports rather than just saying, Candidate A says this, Candidate B says this, the end. And not giving any readers additional context about, you know, who had the better part of the argument if, if there was a factual claim. But what happened was as fact-checking was developing, social media was really taking off. And social media became this very um, fertile field for misinformation. Because everybody was a publisher and because information spreads virally on social media um we just saw misinformation on social media really take off and that made us a lot busier and gave us a lot more work
0: today Angie and her team at Politifact monitor claims on Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok it's crazy to think about way back in 2007 and now you're moderating TikTok you had no idea that that was even going to <laughs> be a thing it's definitely <laughs> changed a lot
2: i mean when we started we were like all politics news. And now we still do politics news, but we do a lot of online misinformation. And um, it's been kind of startling to see how our information ecosystem has developed in those years. And that's how I look at it. It is an information ecosystem. People are getting, um, you know, they see the social, social media the channels, they get things via email. They see Sometimes people don't even know where they're getting their information. We did a focus group a few years ago and people would say, talked about what information they saw and they'd say, oh, I saw it on my feeds. What are your feeds? I mean, I, I think people were like scrolling on their phones through various apps and they weren't like, oh, I'm on this app or that app. They were just like, this is just my phone habit and the news just comes up and I scroll." So like people don't always have a a very specific consciousness of, of what the source of what they're looking at is, which is it's an interesting phenomenon. It's like it goes to the convenience of news, but it also allows a lot of harms to flourish when people aren't immediately aware if they're looking at a credible source or not.
0: Angie and her team try to be really transparent about what they choose to fact check. They have an entire section on their website dedicated to explaining their process. I'll link that in the show notes if you're curious.
2: We're looking at items that are newsworthy. We're looking at items that would make the average person say, hmm, I wonder if that's true. We're looking at things that we think are likely to spread. It's often like we're reading the news along with everybody else and looking for claims that are attention-grabbing that sound like they're likely wrong. Um, And that's how we decide on what to fact check.
0: I found Angie's work at PolitiFact just really, really interesting. I probably could have talked with her about it all day, but I did want to ask her about content related to abortion, especially after the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade. And have you seen a lot of claims like that that kind of catch your attention that you think, oh man, have there been just in in, you know your own personal experience more of those claims related to abortion and abortion access? with the Dobbs League and then the Dobbs case coming out? Well, abortion has always been a, a
2: difficult issue because it's very um, hot. People hold very strong opinions on all sides of the issue. And then if you look at the, the public polling and the public surveys, people have a lot of different opinions on abortion. So some people would call themselves pro-choice, but have problems with late-term abortions. Some people would call themselves pro-life, but think that there should be exceptions for rape or incest or the life or health of the mother. All of those exceptions can be controversial. You know, part of the heart of the controversy of abortion is about when life begins and you can't fact check your way to answering that question. But what we've seen with Dobbs is that there have been a lot of questions about what is legal or not, where. And those are complicated questions that need a lot of research because every state is different. All the state laws are different. Some states don't have specific legislation on the books. So we did a story recently about late term abortions.
0: This story was based on a recent ad by the Christian ministry Focus on the Family. The ad read, quote, Did you know that abortion is available all nine months of pregnancy in New Mexico, even up until the moment before birth and for any reason? Similar ads also singled out Alaska, New Jersey, Oregon, Vermont, and even my state of Colorado. So Angie and her team looked into it. They found that, Technically, abortion is not specifically prohibited at any stage of pregnancy in the six states mentioned in the ads. But late-term abortions are rare. Nationally, less than 1% of abortions are performed at or after 21 weeks of pregnancy. So they determined the ads to be mostly false. The ads contained an element of truth, but PolitiFact said the ads ignored critical facts that would give a different impression.
2: So there are a lot of complicated factors with fact-checking abortion. Um, We try to be as uh, fact-based as we can. We look at statistics, we look at state laws, we stay away from uh, opinions. Although interestingly, sometimes factual claims sound very opinion-like. Sometimes opinions include factual claims within them. So we're navigating all of those complex circumstances.
0: And then looking back at the case of the 10-year-old from Ohio, abortion is also such a complex issue because it's so incredibly personal. That's been really clear since the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade. Many people are sharing just their own experiences or the experiences of other women they've heard about. Angie said that can make it really, really difficult for consumers of the news to distinguish between fact and fiction, especially online.
2: I think people have to be aware of uh, of not being taken in by information that caters to their pre-existing beliefs. As a fact checker, um, I think one of the things I've learned is that we all have to be very suspicious of information that hits us emotionally and confirms something or contradicts something that we already believe. It's called motivated reasoning. Um, we're very quick to be, to believe things that, that confirm our prior beliefs. and And that can be dangerous in today's media ecosystem because we can be easily misled by our own emotions.
0: I ended our conversation by asking Angie for advice on how to contribute to a better media ecosystem using her own words, which I liked a lot. What is my responsibility as a consumer of news?
2: The first thing that people should do is pause before they share. It's very easy (laughs) to see something that gets you really excited. And you're like, I have to share this with my whole network. And you hit share before you've checked it out for yourself. So if you see something you want to share, a really good practice is open another tab on your Internet browser, open another window and just Google the information that you found. If it's a hoax, you should be able to determine that fairly quickly. Um, The second thing that I would do, especially if you see someone sharing information that you know is incorrect, is to gently correct them. And this works especially well with people you know offline. So if you see some stranger you don't know on the internet and they're saying something wrong and you come in and you're like, that's not right. If they don't know you, often their first impulse is going to be to disregard you. But let's say it's a friend or a family member. Those kinds of corrections can be very effective, especially if they're done in a friendly way. And I think this is something like I've had to learn myself. Like you don't say, oh, you're so foolish. How could you share that wrong information? You say, hmm, that's an interesting perspective. I did see something that is a little different you might want to check it out see what you think um, so beginning in a friendly way but uh, <laughs> it's very good advice for um helping the people you know have better information
0: Okay, so like I said, the story of the 10-year-old girl from Ohio dominated my social media feeds for maybe like a week and a half, but there have been a lot of other claims swirling around since Dobbs. I've seen a lot about a lack of policies to support women and families, like subsidized childcare and paid parental leave. I've also seen a lot of concern about privacy. I use an app to track my cycle, and I know a lot of other women do too. What if that information could be used to criminalize women suspected of illegally procuring an abortion? And then probably the most common thing I have seen are concerns about women experiencing miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies, not getting the medical care that they need. I've seen stories of doctors turning women away because they don't want to risk litigation under new abortion restrictions in their states. Women experiencing bleeding and confusion. I want to be clear, though. State laws do have explicit exemptions for miscarriage and ectopic pregnancies. But it seems like some doctors are still afraid of litigation. It's been really difficult for me to see those concerns and read about those experiences. I've never had a miscarriage, but I know a lot of women who have. A lot of women. And I was certain that it was even more difficult for them to see those things. As I was mapping out this episode... I did a sort of informal poll on my personal Instagram account. I was curious if other people were seeing the same things I was and having the same concerns. I was also curious if anyone who had experienced a miscarriage or even an ectopic pregnancy would be willing to talk with me about what this moment is like for them. A lot of people responded, including my friend Holly. Holly had a miscarriage a few months ago. After some back and forth, she agreed to have a conversation on the podcast. Before I share parts of my conversation with Holly, I wanted to let you know that Holly does talk in detail about her miscarriage. Here's Holly.
1: Well, I guess I could go back to when we found out that we were pregnant. Yeah. Um, It was Christmas morning And I took one pregnancy test and and it was positive and I could not believe it, partially because we had many infertility tests lined up for when the holiday break was over. And so I took the first test and thought it was probably a fluke and then took the second test right before we went to mass and absolutely it was positive again. Um, So I told my husband, we were both super excited. And because we were with family and we wanted to keep it just to ourselves for like a little bit. Yeah. We would empty out my beers and alcoholic drinks in the sink in the bathroom. And then my husband would fill it up with like juice or tea or water instead. um, To try to not let anyone on that we had just found out I was pregnant. And so we had several days of drinking, of me drinking water or tea from a beer bottle. <laughs> um, and with so- <laughs> koozies. Like- <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so we were super excited and we didn't want to share with many people at first because we wanted to be able to share with all of our family at some point in person, like at the same time, if we could. Yeah. And then I just started thinking, because I had had several friends who'd had a miscarriage. It'd be nice uh, to tell at least a couple people And so I went to brunch with some friends, had a great time, had some good food, had some laughs. And then towards the very end, I don't even remember how I said it, um, but I I told them that we were pregnant and everyone was so excited, it was excellent. I felt really good sharing that with them. When I walked to my car after that brunch, I thought that something felt a little bit off. And when I got home, I started bleeding and I got pretty concerned, so I called the doctor
0: was it, like, just spotting? Like, I mean, had you had anything like that before? Because sometimes yeah. people do, like, implantation and then it spots or, you know.
1: Totally. I had not really had any any kind of spotting or anything before. And yeah. it started out a little bit of spotting. And then it started to have a flow to it. Mm-hmm. And so when I called um, and explained basically what my flow was at the time, um, she said if it got any heavier, I needed to go in. Uh, I needed to, like, go into the hospital then, and so I got off the phone, was just in the bathroom for a while, um, and realized, like, this is definitely to the level that she had said I needed to go in, and so I called her back, and she let them know I was coming, Um, and my husband was actually out of town for work, and I just was like, well, I'm driving myself. Um, I didn't even think about calling someone else because I just was really upset that he wasn't there for no fault of his own. And so I just grabbed my phone, grabbed my wallet and my keys, and I drove across town to the hospital she told me to go to um, and spent honestly a good 30 minutes in the bathroom of the hospital before I could even go to check myself in.
0: Because it was just... It was so much.
1: Yeah. It was just, it was, it was a lot of blood. Um, And so I checked myself in quickly. And when I got to the room that the nurse had for me, she said she'd be back in a few minutes. And I realized I had bled through everything I had on. I was bleeding through all of the bedding that was on the hospital bed. And I didn't know what to do. So I stuck my head out, and I found a nurse that I had not talked to yet, yeah. um, and she was really nice, and I explained what happened, and um, she basically handed me a bag full of diapers and covered me in a separate clean bed sheet and walked me down to the bathroom. Um, and eventually, I threw away my underwear, I put on one of the diapers, I put my pants back on over the diaper, and I wrapped myself back up in that bed sheet because... I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I walked back down to the room and sat on the hospital bed and that nurse came back in and checked on me and she was she was really sweet. Um, and then finally the OBGYN came in and, you know, I explained everything that had happened. Um, he did a pelvic exam and basically said that everything felt like I was pregnant. Um, and so... Th- They would do an intervaginal ultrasound um, to to see if they saw anything else or if they could see anything else since all signs were that I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I just kept bleeding and had to go back to the bathroom and change into another diaper. Um, And eventually I was able to get the ultrasound done and went back and waited, got some other... All sorts of blood drawn from my arms for them to do tests. Um, the ultrasound came back and they could not see anything on it. Um, and because I was pretty early and had just recently found out I was pregnant, I hadn't had any other ultrasound, so um, we had never seen baby on anything before. The whole time I was there took a good three or four hours at the very least and they waited for some tests before I could leave and at the end when the doctor came back in he essentially said you know he was he was really compassionate and really I guess apologetic and said he was really sorry that if it was not a miscarriage um, that it was an ectopic pregnancy because they I never saw a tissue pass and they didn't see it on the ultrasound. Um, And so the only way to confirm that it was not an ectopic pregnancy was to go get blood drawn and tests run every week until a certain hormone level was zero.
0: Had you heard of ectopic pregnancy before?
1: Nope. (laughs) No, I'd never heard of an ectopic pregnancy and had to like go research it. I mean, they explained it to me um, while I was there, but Definitely was reading about it more.
0: With the overturning of Roe versus Wade, what has kind of your experience been with that just being someone who is online and part of this online community? And, you know, I know for myself the concerns of women coming in with miscarriages and not getting care or or ectopic pregnancies and not getting the care that they need that was something that was on my radar very Mm -hmm. early. And so was that on yours too? And what was that experience like having gone through that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that day, I definitely spent way more time than anyone should reading online, reading on Twitter, and just, um, I don't know. There was so much going on from so many people saying so many things. And a lot of people were saying this really could change the way that the medical world sees care for miscarriages. And the first few days after, um, after Roe versus Wade was turned, I didn't think too deeply about it. I think I just wanted to, you know, read, um, and just see what everybody was saying. But the more that I, started hearing about other women's experiences after that, I I started getting pretty angry. I would text my husband when I would read certain things and just be like, Can you believe this? Like, what would I what in the world was I supposed to have done if I would have called and they basically said, Stay home, if I would have bled that much at home what was I? What was I even supposed to do? Um, one of the things that sticks in my mind is I've read. I've read about a lot of women who have been going through a miscarriage in the past couple weeks, and when they've gotten to the hospital, the nurses ask them all of these questions that they're basically trying to figure out: Is this person actually having a miscarriage? Um, are they going through an abortion? And. I cannot imagine if someone would have been asking me who knows what questions to try and see like are you actually trying to have an abortion right now? I was traumatized enough, I'm still traumatized enough and and they were so caring and so compassionate and you know everyone treated me with such kindness. I I just oh, it just makes me angry even thinking about it. I like I I don't even know <laughs> you would have punched someone. Like, I can't even imagine it. Mm.
0: When you were experiencing this, like, were you wondering if you were responsible or, you know, because knowing you, I'm sure, I mean, in the whole story about pouring the beer out and pouring, you know, and replacing it with water and tea, like, you were being careful, you were, and not saying that people who aren't, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But like, did you struggle with that? Like, just feeling of, did I do something?
1: Absolutely. I don't even know that in this moment, months and months later, I don't have some sort of, in the back of my mind, question or wondering if there was something I did or didn't do. Did I take enough prenatal vitamins? Did I drink, too much coffee, even though I wasn't drinking too much, you know, and anyone I've ever known that's gone through a miscarriage has to some extent shared that they felt that. But I mean, in that moment, I ran through every thing I ate that day, every decision I had made the day before from what time I went to bed to, you know, what I wore. I mean, it could have been anything. Did I use some sort of cleaning product. I mean, honestly, most miscarriages don't even have a have something that a doctor can point to and say, this is what caused it. And that's already scary enough. Um, there's not something I can not do if I get pregnant again in the future because I already don't know what it was. So yeah, that that was something I had to pray a lot about to... To not have that kind of be the first feeling Mm -hmm. or first thought in my head. It's really weird, too, because my discharge papers, you know, said all the tests that they had done and um, had my directions to come back to get the tests on those Mondays. But on my file, it says that I had a spontaneous abortion. And so it is really interesting that, so many of the medical procedures, the vocabulary, the medicines that women take for abortion and for miscarriage are identical. They're mm-hmm. absolutely identical. And so as much as it doesn't make sense, it also makes sense that there would be so much confusion. People are scared. People are reluctant to give medical help to women when they themselves are confused and yeah that's crazy.
0: Yeah that's something that I've been wondering is like is it just a situation where like the dust kind of needs to settle a little bit and right now people are just kind of stuck in this they're just unsure how to apply the law and how to you know they don't want to get in trouble essentially.
1: I mean the symptoms are identical <laughs> if a woman is explaining that they're bleeding and if a woman is you know saying these things are happening with her body, that could be a miscarriage that could be induced abortion. I mean I just don't even know how a nurse would know the difference like I understand that is confusing. I just don't know that the desk will settle that much on this. Because, yeah. A, how, how from a medical perspective, would you know the difference necessarily? Yeah. And, B, already no one was talking about miscarriages, right? Like, it's something that's so shameful and nobody talks about. So, it just seems that much harder to be able to talk about how do we take this seriously? How do we treat this differently? How do we give women the care that they need when they're going through something so traumatic when we already weren't talking about it.
0: How do you feel about the overturning of Roe v. Wade then? I mean, is it complicated for you because of this? I mean... It is,
1: yes, because of how things have evolved. Right. Um, I would have never pictured that it would feel so complicated either. Um, but it is really complicated the fact that I've had a miscarriage makes it more likely that I'll have another miscarriage if I get pregnant again. And I can't help but wonder, will, if that happens again, like would these horror stories that I keep hearing about women in other states, what if I'm not in a state or a place that would treat me with such kind of medical care if I were to have a miscarriage? Um, I don't know. It makes me really nervous thinking about my friends who are trying to get pregnant and, in different states and i already would have never wished that day that those weeks on anyone and yeah it, it's absolutely complicated
0: was planning on talking with like a pro-life OBGYN and kind of asking like how do you respond to these concerns you know what questions i guess would i mean would you have for him Whew. Yeah.
1: What, <laughs> what questions
0: uh <laughs>
1: Ooh, that's a that is a big question
0: yeah
1: there's a lot of things going through my head but one is just very much something related to (laughs) should we at least change the term from spontaneous abortion Mm -hmm. to something else? Heck, why can't we just call it a miscarriage? Like, I don't know. Um, I would be curious their experience if they have had to ask women those questions to see what they're going through and whether or not it was induced or not. Um, how could someone ask those questions of someone going through a miscarriage and ask them in a pro life way? I would also be curious i don't know you asking me you know if it's complicated <laughs> if my emotions are complicated with with Roe versus Wade being overturned i would I would be curious if they have that same complex kind of entanglement um with that decision or if if it can be like a a straightforward emotion or a response for them.
0: Next week, I have a conversation about my concerns and Holly's concerns with a pro-life OBGYN in Virginia. The Pillar in Depth is a production of Pillar Media. I'm your host, Kate Oliveira. Special thanks to Angie Holen, and a very special thanks to my friend Holly for sharing her story with us. Thanks for listening and please send me feedback on this episode. If there's something you want to hear more about, let me know. And if you'd like to share your own experience, reach out. I'll see you next week.